Good day, everybody. Welcome to the Got Brain podcast presented by Cognitivology, where we will continuously discuss and present in detail the mechanics of intuitive intelligence that are built on our inborn basic intuition. Plus, we will also be presenting the true mechanics and virtues of diversification. Now, you may be pondering, what do these two things have in common? And this is something we will continue to present and unfold for you about the significant connection between these two facets of our human potential. I would like to introduce myself. I am Carla Mencken-Wolf and also my wonderful best friend and editor, Bryce Conway. And she's going to say something. What would you like to say? Hi, everybody. My name is Bryce Conway, as Carla Mencken-Wolf had just said. Uh, I wanted to say that we are, in fact, the mechanics of intuition and diversification. I hope you guys enjoy uh, our presentation and stick around for others. Uh, we, we welcome all comments and questions. Um, we will try to answer them all throughout the next couple of weeks or months, and hopefully on this journey of brain potential the discovery you guys will learn something um this information is only uh was developed by us and only can be presented by cognitivologists which is what we are and we also hope to learn something from you as we from all of you in our audience as we learn about the questions and inquiries you have about true human brain potential or the genuine, bona fide, authentic potentialities of what our brain has intended us to be and become in all of our commonality and our uniqueness. Hello. Um, hello and Welcome back, all of our friends and listeners, and we thank you for being here with us. And if you've been following the sequence of our sessions, we are at the end of explaining the cocktail code. And there should so, be a sound. We should, you know, ding. like yes, yeah, there should be some sort of sound. I would really like to, end. you know, uh, do this. Like I have this coffee cup here, and if I could do that kind of oh, like. Yeah. On, there you know, you go. The, right, I'm just making it up. I know. <laughs> I would have really. I knew that, but they wouldn't have known that. <laughs> I think that's a fascinating little musical art mm -hmm. where people just play the, the play cups, the rim, play the rim, play the rims. Yeah, play the rims. It's beautiful, um, and um, yeah, I've always been fascinated by music. And at some point soon, we will talk a little bit more about resonances, but. Uh, the bulk of that information is really going into the book that we're working on now, The Quantum Quotient of Intelligence. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the thing to just start out saying is that I think one of the things that may take people aback is that they may know 
very confidently and sense that they've done things in a good and correct way in raising their kids. Um, I, 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 I want to say that what we're really trying to appeal here is that a lot of people do perform the right things in taking care of their children. Yes. And they have kids that are secure and stable and happy and developing and smart and healthy and all those. It's just that they're following the narrative or the version that we know of and optimizing it to its best. One of the things that we're trying very, very hard mm-hmm. um, to use a very common colloquialism that we are um, advocating is that many of the aspects and postulates that go into uh, higher cognitive development, full brain potential, are things that are totally missing. And if you're unaware of what's missing, then, oh, the choo-choo has come to see us because whenever we do a podcast, the choo-choo has to chime in. Chime in. Choo-choo. So, and I think it's agreeing with us. But anyway. (laughs) You got a last little tooth. I got a last little tooth. I think you're right. I think you're Um, right. One of the, the, the... the the main one of the main things we want we're tr- we're trying very hard to point out and i want i'm saying very hard in in place of saying one of the things that we're really trying very desperately to point out is that uh there are things missing in our cognitive development just as scientists think that 99% of our DNA is junk and they're only now discovering. And one of the things, other things that we've pointed out, um, going back to the Dots Connected book, was the severe neuron pruning. And I think that that, in conjunction with a whole bunch of other postulates, when you put them together and you do the math and you connect the dots, um, and because early cognitive development is very influenced and modified on a genetic level. When you look at those things together on one slab of rock or one sheet of paper, you start to look at them and you start to connect. Well, wait a minute. 99% of our DNA is junk. Usually genetics would get rid of that. Um, We prune most of the neurons by the time a kid is three. Um, Why has genetics and evolution or divine uh, div- divine design uh, allowed failed, that to continue right well or failed to um, to do the, the 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 biological evolution thing and say well we keep throwing those neurons out so let's just make sure they're gone before the kid's born you know and the junk DNA it's still there so now they're discovering some of the stuff and um, without going into it I think that uh, one of the explanations now that they're they're speaking about in terms of 
what RNA does in the copying process um, as something that has to do with uh, uh, I the word the word is in something in 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 ports or in in something I wrote it down actually I I have been researching it for a while but basically it means that the RNA in the copying process is making extra copies. And when they go down to their final editing stage for, to, you know, to message the DNA to code, uh, then they give it its final version. And that these other processes, these cushions on either side of a gene will, will help keep the integrity of the information for protein coded that's needing that's needed so you have extra copies on top so if they get blown away or whatever so to speak that's the best analogy i could use okay of, of course you know cognitiveology we say that these have to do with um some of the other sensory uh sensory tools that we have the invisible information processing that the neurons that are getting reduced and pruned or shaved away are there to work also with those invisible information processing uh, abilities that we have. Uh, they are also supposed to be specialized for something. That's why they're still there because um, neurons are actually, neurons are specialized for and designated for specific purposes but fundamentally neurons all do the same thing they trans transist trans transpire um transmute um information to other neurons so they essentially act like particles right even though they have a kind of like maybe cellular structure or whatever or maybe they're crossed between a particle and a cellular structure there's different i think there's different ways to to define it because they're kind of like the particle that's also a wave function. You know, they have that, they work in that electromagnetic field. So right. there are characteristics that are flexible about them. So when you start to put some of those ideas together and look at them side by side, you go, wait a minute. Yeah, there's a different picture going on here, whether we're still figuring it out. But once one of those areas starts figuring out, something about or what the possibilities are, then other ideas can come. But of course, for us at Cognitiveology, we say that those neurons should never be pruned. Maybe a small amount of them, but more than the amount that stays only for us to have to produce new neurons as we go, because it's, it's a nice flexible process that can still, you know, there's neurogenesis, but neurogenesis should be on top of keeping most of those neurons rather than throwing them all away and then coming up with a new production later on. The production right. should be on top of the original, you know, stash of, of neurons. So uh, having said all that, then let's get back to the point that we want in the love connection, the yes. end of the cocktail code, because Emotions people have generally thought for a long time as being some invisible, invisible, extracurricular or airy fairy, uh, airy fairy, unsubstantial thing that could never be defined by physics or the fundamental laws of math or, or any of those things. So to this day, 
um, neuroscientists still think that, you know, emotional cognition is impossible to define, whereas we say in cognitiveology, it's, it's rigorous. Right. It's, it's a mathematical process. Just the fact that emotional cognition comes first means it's first in line. You already have a number on it. You already have a stage on it. You already have a sequence on it. There's a pattern to it. If kids get a lot of love and goodness and kindness and all that, then you get certain output. Um, what you put in is what comes out. And if you act really, um, whatever, horrible to children, then there's other outputs. And we could get into that, or you can go look them up. You can use your imagination. People all know these things. True. So there's a cognitive process. It's a mathematical function, like everything. Nothing's exempt from being a mathematical function. So the human brain is emotionally developed. The number one emotion that's necessary for the human brain is love. Okay, so here is where I want to go with it. Because from the beginning or uh, up until this point, I could just sit here and say, well, what are we going to say about love? I mean, what are we going to say to people <laughs> that they're unaware of? Like, we all know what love is. Do we all know what unconditional love is? Do we all know what the full spectrum of love, lovingness is that would fully give us a literacy about all of the cocktail code. I think people would have a an interesting thought that there's a literacy to love. There's a literacy to everything. I'm just uh, saying. If if people think there's only a literacy to ABC and one, two, three, or then that that's already a challenge in term we have issues. There's fundamental issues because first of all, math is everything rather than being just some things. And while a lot of people think that math is just numeracy or numerals or numbers, that's a big misconception. Most math is non-numerical. Numbers are only one principle among the very diverse spectrum of mathematical principles. Right. Right. So even E equals MC square, as we've said many times, can be described in just words. And a lot of times when I mention that, people say, oh... Yeah, science, uh, math, I, 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 I can never understand that. And I always say to people, you understand the theory of relativity. Say it with me. Energy and matter, da-da-da-da-da. Da-da-da. We all know. So people know what it means. Yes. So, yes, when we talk about love, I think the, if we're going to put a logic behind it, then we have to talk about all all of the other cocktail code elements, which we've done up until now. Right. We have to also talk about the laws of the universe mm -hmm. and the value of knowledge that gives us a resource and an impact to make love viable in lear every learning situation. Right? Yes. So just even living in the 3D world, we have to master the fundamental laws of physics. Everybody should know them. Mm -hmm. And Preschool teachers and parents should be even more masterful about them. So it, as, a, as an early educator, one of the tricks is to be, have an extensive repertoire of ways to explain using cognitively correct language, how knowledge pans out 
for the four-year-old mind in conjunction with imagination and um, all of the other things that children at that age believe that they can do, which happens to be everything. And it's still the foundation for everything. And we use language for everything. So I could just say everything, everything, everything for the rest of the podcast. And I hope that people will still get it. But um, let's go with this. So if we make a little bit of a quantum leap here and we can join all of the things I just said with uh, the brain being a quantum information processor and putting the standard model of E equals MC square on the way the brain is supposed to work. Because the brain, the human brain is a microcosm of the universe. Right. And everything in the cosmic universe follows the rules of E equals MC square Mm -hmm. or the natural laws, which are best described by E equals MC square. So again, we have, uh, there's one definition for energy. Uh, People can come up with other definitions or descriptions if they like. That's the beauty of choice and creativity. But the truth of the matter is the fundamental operations of energy are one, one process. And whether you're on that side of the universe or on a planet on the other side of the universe, energy follows the same prescription, right? Mm -hmm. And matter follows the same prescription in that it is made of particles, which are derived from energy and energy is derived from the quantum field, um, pre pop particle production where it's either waves or, um, vibrating in strings, which gives it the ability to be collapsed into actual particles, you know, to transist from wave function or be able to do both simultaneously, which is part of the fabric, which we have spoken about, um, of what particles are made of, which we have claimed also in our work, made out of 12-dimensional material. Right. So in explaining love or unconditional love, As adults, operating with brains that are using much less than the real uh, version of full cognitive development, which is one and the same as a full spectrum of intuitive intelligence development, we have to latch onto the E equals MC square standard and say, okay, do we have the same fundamental rule for love here and here? Right. Right. So if we speak about the divine universe or divinity, is there one standard model of unconditional love for all things, all entities and all beings and creatures of the universe? Yes, there has to be. Yes. Because the same principles of energy and matter were put into the production of our bodies and the things around us in our environment. So in the course or stages of our development in life, so let's look at when a baby is born. And this is where we sort of combine the other things in the cocktail code, but where I had previously said that we would connect these things at the end. So um, 
most parents unconditionally love their baby mm-hmm. the moment they're born, maybe before they're born. They're already in love. Did that baby do anything special to earn that love? <clears throat> well, as a parent, just... I'm going to be like, you made it out of the canal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty darn special to me. Right. Right. <laughs> But yes, I mean that's that's a, a you're a parent, so you you're free to say whatever. But um, you, it's a it's a supernatural thing. Yes, it's a supernatural thing. And yes. um, if you ever have the experience of experiencing the supernaturalness of unconditional love, it's it's a great thing. Uh, Huge amount of power. It's a yes. Huge amount of power. But. Uh, how do we make sure that we sustain and supplement this throughout the stages of development and then through life where that becomes our number one uh, cognitive process? Where is the, the cognitive process also of maintaining unconditional love has to be sustained through developments as we grow older and um we should have an intuitive understanding of how unconditional love works Mm -hmm. our world is the way that it is because unconditional love gets broken we have there's a system in place and we've talked about this quite a bit yes and also when the baby is born also that one of the other pervasive ideas that people you hear people say all the time is trust has to be earned. And actually I wanted to do a whole thing one day on my LinkedIn page where um, I think that a lot of cultures around the world that are very old, that has become a, a much more hardcore idea. It's like, even if you go in to do business with someone, well, I, you have to show me that you're trustworthy and then I can do business with it's it's fading in America, okay, I have to say. But honestly speaking, America was built. There's a lot of crazy and evil things happen as America has built up over culture for the last 250 years or whatever. But when it came to really knitting together a fabric of building this country, there was an element of trust or a system of honor that people had. It's like, I will trust you <clears throat> until... You do something untrustworthy. True. And that's also part of the broken system. But when we have these double standards on how we think trust precedes everything. So when we have these double standards, so why is the baby born automatically trusting the mother? The the baby's already born automatically trusting the fact that the mother's going to love him unconditionally. Is it a conscious thought? Uh Uh-uh. It's just there, Right. So trust that trust goes hand in hand with everything. And trust is, of course, one side of a coin of uh, truth. Truth. And then there's transferability and transparency, which are also very important to the process. So all of these things are interlinked. So we can interlink all of them together again, which if we need to do that in another session, we can go ahead and do that. All of the cocktail code things. But I think throughout the sessions we've done um, that, and uh, we can always do it some more. If anybody has any questions, 
we can definitely um we can definitely go over that and if anybody else wants to say anything about love please <laughs> but the well you know those beetles had it right when they said all you need is love yes here's the thing though <laughs> is even in that song there are conditions to that yes However, what you really need is unconditional love. That's true. And if everyone who's listening thinks back to that point in their childhood where that stream of unconditional love is interrupted. <laughs> but I think for most, a lot, for a lot of people, it's interrupted before they could get wind of it, you know, too. But maybe people realize Okay, again, when age. you first when you first can realize when it was interrupted, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> I, um, I, yeah, and and then try to reconfigure that as if you were feeling it as a full stream for from that point on. Um, it's a it's a very different feeling. You, there's a lot of things that you would think to yourself. I might have turned left when I turned right, or I might have gone straight, or I might have stopped, yeah. or I'm, you know, there's a lot of what ifs because what we're all, is. we're all dealing and, and, you know, um, reacting, reacting to a broken stream right. of unconditional love. Yeah. I think the thing, I think I've never heard anybody actually ever describe it in that way, but I have heard several people say to me, you know, that time or that day that I realized my parents were imperfect, or I've had a few people tell me over the years, say I, that moment when I realized that my parents weren't God, and I just said a negation there, but I'm quoting, I yes. only use them what usually when I'm quoting somebody, but that those were their words to me. And I remember when I first heard either of those statements from anybody I, uh, it was a little bit disturbing for me because I, I never th thought about, um, you know, necessarily my parents being unconditionally loving or thought of either one of them as being godlike. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I kind of remember everything since I'm 18 months old. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to end on that. I mean, now, you know, looking back, we all have these things and we heal our inner children and we realize what our own parents must have gone through as children themselves. And we deal with forgiveness and, you know, we, we build victory upon victory of our own self-improvement and that type of thing. And these are all remedies, but they're also, they're part of a broken system. Right. Still. It, right. It's great that we can experience these things, but anyway. So if any of you are feel better about that, yes, we've all come <laughs> from a broken system. Yeah, we all, we've it's just on this side of the the microphone, we figured it out. A, we figured out a way of imparting um, the knowledge of that broken system, and in fact, how to prevent right. And there's breaking plenty, the system. There's, there's plenty of stuff that has been around for a long time. What we've done is take all of those things, put them, put the twos and twos together, and then filled in the blanks. And rigorously, that, rigorously, rigorously. <laughs> and um and so here we are yep okay except that we're gonna say goodbye yes so. we're gonna say goodbye for today have thank a, you have a wonderful week and we will see you or hear talk to you guys in two weeks mm -hmm. 
Take care. Bye.